0: And welcome to episode two of the official Establish the Run podcast. My name is Adam Levitan. I'm one of the co-founders here at ETR. And today I am joined once again by my partner in this endeavor, the unquestioned true king of the football analysis industry.
1: It is, of course, Evan Silva. Evan, what's going on? What's going on, man? Ready to talk some coaching changes, the fallout, the impact, you know, talking about changes in, you know, personnel package, usage, playing time, you know, run first, pass first philosophy. Um, You can really get a good gauge on what play callers uh, want to do by their first down play calling tendencies. What do they do on first down? Mm -hmm. Um, Last year, Frank Reich uh, was the third pass heaviest coach on first down. And because they were throwing the ball so much on first down, like high – first of all, you're throwing against a base defense. And a base defense, like, has its nose tackle in. You know, it has its strong side linebacker in. Whereas a non-base defense, a sub-package defense, you know, is – hello, Jerry. And, uh, you know, a sub-package defense will have an extra defensive back end. So it's built to stop the pass. But the first down defenses generally are not – Built to stop the pass, they're built to stop the run. So if you're throwing against a defense that is built to stop the run, you have a competitive advantage. And so that was very impressive in Frank Reich's first year. And um, you know, the Panthers also did a great job of this. And we're going to talk a lot more about this. I talked about this in my team pre. But um, you know, we, we, what we want to do is find out what uh, coaching staffs are going to be making more optimal decisions this year, and we can gain a competitive advantage through that.
0: Yeah, I think one of the biggest differences between the NFL and maybe baseball and, and basketball is just the impact that a coach can have on player production. You know, if the uh Lakers change their uh uh coach, it's not going to change this, this output that much of the players in most cases. Same with baseball, obviously, when we're talking about fantasy, but for football, it can be so, so, so massive. And I think as people are kind of getting back into the football swing of things, as we turn to mid-July, late-July here, looking at coaching changes, some of the most important things that we can do. And also just like general coaching talent. Like, I I don't know, Evan, like I was surprised that Kyle Shanahan was able to get 17.4 DraftKings points per game out of Nick Mullins last year. You know, like how many coaches could have done that with Nick Mullins? Uh, You know, so I think there's just coaching talent also makes a difference. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, but what, what's especially interesting is like a coaching staff like the 49ers, they did not have, you know, a lot of success last year where they finished like four and 12. By the way, they got t- the worst end of variance from injury variance. They were like the, the most injured offense in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Football Outsiders has this metric that gauges like this, how injured, you know, you are as an offense as an offense or, or, or defensive unit. They were uh, one of the most injured offenses in the NFL. They went three and six and one score games. Um, You know, their point differential wasn't anywhere nearly as bad as like, you know, four and 12 would would have you think. Um, And yeah, the the quality coaching showed up, but not defensively. I think they have a problem defensively with their coaching, but offensively, yeah, it showed up. Nick Mullins averaged over eight yards per pass attempt. There were times where C.J. Bethard was passable. You know, um, and now this this regime in San Francisco is entering like a make-or-break year. But I think that they've done a better at elite, least elite job as uh, coaching. They've done a better coaching job than their results so far have indicated. They've been there for two years, thirty-two games. Jimmy Garoppolo has only started eight of them, and they they tied so much. You know, they they paid him so much, and they've had eight starts from Jimmy Garoppolo. He's six and two in those starts, by the way. Yep. Six and two, dude. You know, and he's over eight yards for pass attempt. So um, I don't know. I, I got off on a tangent there. Sorry. Yeah,
0: we're not gonna talk about the 49ers tonight because they did not make a coaching change, but I am optimistic generally speaking about this 49ers offense, just based on what the offense was able to do with Nick Mullins and a bunch of B team players when they get Jimmy Garoppolo and Pettis and Debo and Kittle and Tevin and everybody working on, on the same page, I think they're gonna be really good. Okay, anyways. That's not what we're here for. We're here for coaching changes. I think the layup, the easiest coaching change to see what's going to have the most stark impact from last year to this year is very obviously Cliff Kingsbury and this Cardinals offense. I mean, taking over for the Steve Wilkes, Mike McCoy regime, bringing in an offense that will almost certainly be four wide, that will almost certainly be shotgun heavy. Uh, I couldn't fathom a bigger change, a more uh, black and white change than we're going to see this year from the Cardinals offense. Uh, The question to me is more effectiveness. How effective can they be, not how different will they be? Uh, I'm curious your thoughts there.
1: Yeah, so, and and as you mentioned, one thing that just cannot be overstated is just how different this offense is going to look under Cliff Kingsbury versus Mike McCoy. And I think that we really need to put that into perspective. Mike McCoy, great proponent of the bunch formation. Last year, the Cardinals ran the ball directly behind center between the guards on 66% of their rushing attempts. That was more than double the NFL average. You can go back and watch David Johnson at Northern Iowa, watch him in 2016 with Bruce Arians. His strength has never been interior running. He's a big, dynamic space player who went to college as a wide receiver. Um, I I would bet against – the idea that uh, Mike McCoy even ever watched David Johnson's tape before. Uh, Like, I'm serious. Mike McCoy just installed his offense into the Cardinals last year, and David Johnson was supposed to fit into it rather than the other way around. Cliff Kingsbury, his approach is going to be polar opposite because he's going to spread the the field. He's going to get guys into space. The Cardinals are going to lead the NFL in four receiver sets. They're going to play fast as a team. You're talking about an offense that last year finished second to last in the league in plays per game. Cliff Kingsbury's Texas Tech offenses led Division I college football in plays per game over the last five years. Uh, They ran 82 plays per game. And Cliff Kingsbury emphasizes his quarterbacks getting rid of the ball quickly. That's going to help the Cardinals' offensive line, in addition to the fact that Kyler Murray is going to be the quickest twitch quarterback in the NFL as a rookie. You know, just such a stark contrast from Sam Bradford and Josh Rosen If you look at the guys who have produced in Kingsbury's offense historically in the passing game, they tend to be interior pass catchers. His first year, it was Jason Morrow, a tight end who got drafted um, second round to the Jets. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then Kiki QT was a slot receiver. Uh, Jakeem Grant was a slot receiver. These guys had monster seasons at Texas Tech. And I think they were going to see Christian Kirk play a ton more in the slot this year and be the featured guy. Christian Kirk has a head start also because – Uh, He played in a similar offense at uh, Texas A&M where they also ran the air raid.
0: Yeah, Uh, I mean, it's hard not to be excited about at least watching this Cardinals offense. And we've seen Kyler Murray's ADP scream up. I mean, at one point I think you get Kyler Murray in like the 15th or 16th round. Now I see him going in the 8th or ninth round, which is uh, very high for a quarterback. Obviously, the rushing floor is massive with Kyler Murray, but that's a layup one, Evan. I want to talk about some more uh, difficult ones to decipher how the change is going to go. Uh, Bruce Arians in Tampa taking over for Dirk Cutter and Todd Monken. I mean, uh, Bruce Arians is a very fantasy-friendly offensive schemer, loves to play vertical, loves to play aggressive, and I think he's excited about coming to work with Jameis Winston, who kind of fits what he wants to do really well. And they have a ton of talent, man. I mean, uh, Jameis, Mike Evans, O.J. Howard, Chris Godwin. uh, We'll see who wins the number three wide receiver job. They don't have very much running back talent, so you could really see... Uh, Bruce Arians being like, screw it. We are going to go extremely pass heavy and put it all on Jameis Winston and our receivers. Uh, I'm extremely optimistic on this offense. Uh, How do you feel about Bruce Arians and what changes will we see versus the dirt cutter Todd Monkin offense?
1: Yeah, by the way, I'm in the Scott Fishbowl right now. And um, Chris Godwin, we're at pick 6.06, and Chris Godwin has not gone
0: yet. Oh, my God.
1: Yeah, this so that would be the 66th overall pick. I have Chris Godwin as I think the 38th overall player. Yeah, um, I'm sitting at 6.11. Where you know, again, we're at 6.06. I'm like, there's no way in heck that I'm getting Chris Godwin. <laughs> Let me read some of the receivers that have gone ahead of him. Um, I and I have like I'll read all the guys that I have behind him that have gone ahead of him Robert Woods, uh, Cooper Cup. Oh my Roday, god, um. Uh, I took Tyreek ahead of uh, Chris mm-hmm. Godwin, although I almost took him at 5.02. Again, we're at 6.06. Um, Brandon Cooks, I have uh, Godwin ahead of Brandon Cooks. Uh, so, I mean, we're talking at least like five or six receivers that I just I, – i I'm really surprised. I, I, I'm just going to guess that he's going higher in – I mean, this is a guy who can catch 100 balls. Oh, year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but as for Bruce Arians, you know, he closed out his time in Arizona. They were playing fast. You know, you want to talk about an offense that ran a lot of plays. His last two offenses in Arizona finished second and fifth in the NFL in plays per game. As you mentioned, he emphasizes vertical passing. That's really good news for Mike Evans, who finished top five in air yards in each of the last four years. Initially, I had Mike Evans in my tier two of wide receivers, recently moved them up. Uh, my first tier has seven wide receivers in it. He's the wide receiver seven, uh, but I think he's undervalued. I also think he's undervalued in um, in dynasty. Just one of three receivers in NFL history to open their season with open their career with five straight seasons of over a thousand receiving yards. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the big changes, as we mentioned, Arians uh, moving Godwin into the slot. Arians had success doing this with Hines Ward in Pittsburgh, with Reggie Wayne in Indianapolis, Larry Fitzgerald, of course, in Arizona. Reggie Wayne had hundred and six catches as a slot receiver in his only year under Bruce Arians with the Colts. Larry Fitzgerald had three hundred catch seasons and Chris Godwin has been good so far uh, in the slot in his career. He's caught 70% of his slot targets last year. He averaged more yards per route run in the slot than Adam Humphreys, but the bucks, you know, insisted on playing Adam Humphreys over Chris Godwin. That's no longer going to be the case. You pull we're pulling Adam Humphreys who had over a hundred targets and Jackson out of the passing attack for 2019 and it really narrows the 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 distribution because we have Mike Evans, we have Chris Godwin we have OJ Howard. The this team does not throw to their running backs and um you know Peyton Barber has never caught passes, Ronald Jones has never caught passes and then um their third receiver is just kind of up for grabs. Yeah. So you know, and, and like I I like Chris Godwin is an aggressive draft target for me. And I'm still kind of shook that he's on the board here. I, I would love to take him at 6.11, but I know it's just a pipe dream. Uh, I, and I mean, and this defense is going to be really bad. I mean, they they
0: could get into a ton of shootouts down there uh, in Tampa, which I think would be really exciting as well for these Bucks. And I've been on the Chris Godwin train for a long time. Every opportunity that Chris Godwin has had to play anytime Deshaun Jackson has missed time. Dude is just balled out, except for that one game where he airballed. I believe it was against the Ravens. But besides that, I mean Chris Godwin has just been a baller.
1: Yeah, yeah. I was looking at that one the other day. Um zero catches on three targets in that one. That was yeah.
0: only- That one stung. However, uh, we're gonna look forward. Okay. Uh in Cleveland, this is an interesting situation because Freddie Kitchens is gonna stay on after having the interim job, but they bring in Todd Monken. I think you kind of made Todd Monken famous by going with the Todd, MF, and Monken on Twitter. I feel like a lot of people liked that. A lot of people picked up on it, and probably a lot of people who had no idea who Todd Monken was, uh, thanks to you, now know who he is. We know he's very pass-heavy. We know he's very aggressive. We know he uh, understands relative value of play calling, Uh, and he has a ton of talent here. I mean, Baker, Chubb, Odell, Jarvis, Njoku, um, it's tough not to be excited about this Browns offense, especially with Kitchens and Monk in there. Am I wrong?
1: No, absolutely. So I think that we all kind of know how much the Browns turned around offensively after they fired Hugh Jackson and promoted Freddie Kitchens last year. Baker Mayfield was the overall quarterback seven in fantasy from week nine on. He averaged 8.6 yards per pass attempt. That is an elite number. 19 touchdowns, eight picks over those those last eight games. And, he was super aggressive as a rookie. He was number seven in the NFL in attempts over 20 yards downfield. Uh, but there was no more aggressive passing offense than Todd Monkens last year. Jameis Winston and Ryan Fitzpatrick were both top three in the NFL in average depth of target. Mm-hmm. You go back and look at Todd Monkens' history, and he was the passing game coordinator for Jamarcus Russell at LSU. Okay. Um, Jamarcus Russell, you know, was a big-time, you know, college – vertical passer that flopped spectacularly in the NFL. Maybe the probably the biggest bust of all time. Mm-hmm. Um he was the offensive coordinator at Oklahoma State with Brandon Wheedon and Justin Blackman. So Brandon Whedon went on to be a first round pick out of this offense. If you go back and like look at look at the scouting reports on Brandon Wheedon, he just never had bodies around him. So he always just had a clean pocket and he had a stud in Justin Blackman. And Todd Monkin just, you know, hit the, you know, just smashed the button on that, you mm-hmm. know, for for you know two seasons, and they had one of the best offenses. in Brandon Whedon got drafted as a first-round pick in the NFL <laughs> at age 27. Okay, coming out of Todd Monkin's offense. Okay. Last year in Tampa Bay, Deshaun Jackson led the NFL in yards per reception. At Southern Miss, Todd Monken recruited Nick Mullins, who we've already talked about. And Nick, you know, that was a, a great pickup for for that. They turned the program around. Todd Monken inherited uh, the Southern Miss football team. They literally went 0-12 in 2012. Three years later, Todd Monken had them at 9-5 and and in, in a bowl game. So he's got a really impressive track record, and he's an air raid coach, and he learned the air raid under Mike Gundy at Oklahoma State. And, I mean, this is a guy who has maximized talent, you know, Uh, and knows a bunch of different offensive philosophies like he has been you know the pro style nfl coach and he has been the high scoring you know spread attack air raid coach in college so i mean you know hopefully they can make this work because there have been some reports that there 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 has been some friction there but hopefully they can make it work because it it lines up it's real sexy on paper with baker mayfield you again you know, really, really aggressive. And this offense's philosophy is aggressive.
0: Yeah. I mean, everybody's on the Browns. That's the only thing that scares me. You know, everybody thinks the Browns are going to the Super Bowl. Now the Browns are going to win the AFC North, et cetera, et cetera. And and I don't doubt that they have the best talent, the best coaching, et cetera, et cetera. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out, but I definitely want to be high on the Browns along with everybody else. Uh, Let's move to a situation that maybe we're a little bit more scared about. And that's what the Jets are doing bringing in Adam Gaze and Dola Loggins, taking over for the Todd Bowles, Jeremy Bates situation. I mean, I don't understand how Adam Gaze keeps getting jobs. We know he succeeded with Peyton Manning. Um, That's not that impressive. You know, when he was with the Bears, they were in 2015, 19th in in yards per play. He had three years with the Dolphins. They were ninth, okay, then 22nd, 25th in yards per play. I don't know where Adam Gaze keeps um, getting interviews and getting jobs from. And also he plays so slow. I mean, last year uh dolphins were dead last in plays per game so um one you know one thing is there's not that many three down plus goal backs left in the NFL and you could argue that Le'Veon Bell is one but Adam Gates didn't even want him and Adam Gates is going to play extremely slow uh, I want to be high on Robbie Anderson I want to be high on Le'Veon is Adam Gates going to mess this up Evan
1: yeah, by the way, this is live tilt right now. So two more picks are in before my six point one one. I need Chris Godwin. I need him. <laughs> two more picks are in Jameis Winston and Calvin Ridley. Wow. I can't believe Calvin Ridley. I I have Godwin like wide receiver 17 and Calvin Ridley like wide receiver twenty-eight. You know? Wow. Just just amazing. I I,
0: I took I took Godwin in Scott Fishbowl, but I took him in like the fourth round. <laughs> I mean <laughs> I wasn't about to miss on him, you know?
1: <laughs> right. No. I, I'm telling you, I almost took him at five point oh two and we were like, no, I'm taking Tyreek Hill. But uh all right, so yeah, Adam Gase, you know, and, and you know, when you mention Adam Gase, you gotta include the great the great great Dowell Loggins. Yeah here. Uh, Adam Gase's little buddy who he brings with him like wherever he goes, you know, he's like uh, but, you know, this is seriously kind of a wait and see situation, I think, with the Jets. You know, Adam Gase had a lot of success theoretically with Peyton Manning in Denver. But Peyton Manning, has, you know, he made a lot of coaches and a lot of front office guys rich, and he made them look smart. Mm-hmm. Uh, Adam Gase, I think, was somewhat impressive in one year working with Jay Cutler in Chicago. And then he was a Dolphins head coach for the last three years, and he wasn't very impressive. And you can blame it on the talent, I suppose. But I'm not sure that I'd buy that Adam Gase maximized the talent that he had. You know, Kenyon Drake was egregiously underutilized. They used a second-round pick on Mike Jusecki last year and got nothing out of him. Um, the, the offenses, as you mentioned, they played super slow. They were dead last in the NFL in offensive plays in both 2016 and 2018. In 2017, they were 22nd. Um, mm-hmm. So, look, I, I'm not ruling out Adam Gase as a decent hire, but there's not a, a lot of reasons here for optimism at surface level, at least.
0: Yeah, and, and I mean, people are excited about Chris Herndon, about Robbie Anderson, about Le'Veon Bell. Uh, it's scary. I, I I like the talent level of all three of those guys, but um, it's scary for sure. Let's move to Baltimore, and this is obviously not a head coaching change; it's an offensive coordinator change, where Greg Roman taking over for. Marty Morningweg. Uh, I like this a lot. I mean, I think it lines up really well. First of all, Greg Roman has experience of working with a Lamar Jackson type, you could argue, in Tyrod Taylor. And also, you know, it almost wasn't fair to Lamar last year to come in in the middle of the year when they're running a Joe Flacco offense. And then they're like, well, in the middle of the year, we're going to change it. We're going to run a Lamar Jackson offense now. That's really hard to do. So I think you get the entire offseason for Lamar. You get Greg Roman, who I think knows how to work with a player. Like Lamar, and I'm surprised Lamar Jackson's ADP is so low, but how do you think Greg Roman will impact what's going on in Baltimore?
1: Yeah, the first thing that stands out to me about Greg Roman uh, is his run heavy background because he was the 49ers and the Bills offensive coordinators from 2011 through 2015. And those offenses finished third, seventh, third, ninth, and second in the NFL in rushing attempts. So that meshes with the Ravens approach with Lamar Jackson. They're going to run the ball a ton. Warren Sharp has them facing the second easiest schedule of run defenses in the league this year. Um, and Greg Roman is maybe the best pure run game designer in the NFL. He's had success with, um, you know, all mobile quarterbacks, whether it be Alex Smith or Tyrod, as you mentioned, Colin Kaepernick. Um, and Greg Roman, he, he will run the read option. Um, he likes to use a lot of different personnel packages in the running game and be very multiple So the Ravens will likely continue to have a limited passing game, but they should have the best running game in the NFL this year, especially when you uh, adjust for schedule. And they're also bringing back all five starters on the offensive line.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I like that a lot. And I think the Ravens are going to play some good ball this year. And Lamar is going to surprise some people. Uh, I want to talk about a defensive one real quick because you're in Chicago and I think Vic Fangio, maybe uh, rightly so or deservedly so, got a lot of credit for the way the Bears defense played. Last year, I think the Bears' defense also ran incredibly hot uh, in turnover margin and sacks, et cetera, et cetera. That said, Vic Fangio can make a big difference in a defense he takes over as the head coach in Denver. For Vance Joseph, how do you see Vic Fangio's departure affecting the Bears' defense and maybe helping the Broncos' defense?
1: Yeah, so the Bears are turning to Chuck Pagano, who was out of coaching last year um, and whose defenses with the Colts weren't very good. And... The Bears, as you kind of hinted at, they, they have regression coming. You know, defensive performance is much less sticky year-to-year than offensive performance, uh, and that's been shown in studies done by both Football Outsiders and 538. Uh, and Chuck Pagano is probably going to get the blame for the downturn in the Bears' mm-hmm. defense, you know, if they, like, go from number one in defense to number six or seven. Last year the Jaguars went from number one to number six, and they just completely fell apart as a team. Their defense was still really good, but it was not good enough to compensate for a bad offense. Um, in Denver, you know, he, Vic Fangio, uh, he inherits a pretty good defensive roster. You know, they've got Von Miller, Bradley Chubb, Derek Wolf, Chris Harris at corner. They signed Kareem Jackson to play safety. Kareem Jackson coming off a really good season with the Texans. Um, and, and with Joe Flacco at quarterback, I think we should expect the Broncos to be a run and defense-based team. You saw them sign uh, Jawan James to play right tackle for huge money. They drafted Dalton Reisner in the second round to play left guard. Uh, They added Mike Munchak, who's one of the best offensive line coaches in the league. He spent the last five years in Pittsburgh, had some of the best offensive lines in the league there. Um, I think that one guy who can benefit from all this is Royce Freeman as a guy that got a lot of people um, you know excited last year people were taking like him in like the fourth round yeah and he was disappointing of course he got beat out by philip Lindsay. but i think he's gonna have a much bigger role this season there's a new coaching staff there and royce freeman when he was healthy he was good last year his success rate was high uh, he was one of the best running backs in the league at putting away teams in, in the fourth quarter of games um he's not a guy who was that deficient in the passing game at all i know he's you know, he's big and he didn't catch passes as a rookie but he was a guy who caught um, uh, 90 passes in his four-year career at uh, at Oregon. So, um, Royce Freeman is—I think—he's a really good pick this year in the eighth round. A lot of people have just signed off on him too because they used early picks on him last year, and you know they're like, you know, they they, they just put him on their DND list, and you can benefit from that. Yeah. Uh,
0: let's move to the offensive side of the ball here, back with Matt LaFleur taking over for Mike McCarthy in Green Bay. And Matt LaFleur probably, uh, deservedly so took a lot of heat for the way he coached in Tennessee. I was not creative at all. They were 23rd in yards per play last year, declined to unleash Derrick Henry until late in the year. But I think you can make a case that when you have Marcus Mariota and an injured Marcus Mariota as your quarterback and really not much behind Corey Davis, Uh, In terms of weaponry, uh, it's hard to be creative. It's hard to scheme uh, really well. So now he goes to a place where he has Aaron Rodgers, where he has Devontae Adams, where he has Aaron Jones. I think we're going to see Matt LaFleur able to uh, kind of spread his wings a little bit. Uh, Are you up or down on Matt LaFleur as Mike McCarthy's replacement?
1: Um, Kind of in the middle, um, but I think he's made it pretty clear that he wants to implement an offense like the 2016 Falcons in green bay and that that's obviously ambitious that's uh matt ryan's mvp year but they have some similar components so uh, matt lafleur is going to try to get aaron Rodgers to play more within structure and improvise less he's going to use more play action which is always good for an offense play action is like a cheat code in the nfl teams don't use it enough you know the smart teams do rams use it at the highest rate in the league you have Devontae adams for the julio jones role and i think that Matt LaFleur envisions Geronimo Allison as the Muhammad Sunu mm-hmm. as the slot receiver. Um, Aaron Jones is plenty of t- talented enough for the Devontae Freeman role. Uh and Matt LaFleur is this stuck out to me. So Matt LaFleur has talked about uh throwing to running backs more in the passing game. That would be very good news for Aaron Jones. Um in that 2016 season, the Falcons running backs caught 93 passes. Last year, the Packers running backs only caught 71 passes, uh, and they had, and that was, you know, at uh, finishing top five in the NFL in pass attempts. The Packers targeted running backs on just 18 percent of their early down passes. So, what you don't, what is a negative EV play is a third down pass to a running back. That's a negative ED play, EV play. A positive EV play is throwing to a running back on first down or on second down. Um, and the Packers target running backs on just 18% of their early down passes. That was the fourth lowest rate in the league. You know, you look at teams like the Patriots and the Saints. You know, they're not in, not anywhere near that 18% range. They're in like 35 to 40% range. You see how efficient their offenses are. They stay out of third downs. You know, so that's what I'm hope I'm hoping that what Matt Lafleur is saying is going to come to fruition because it sounds good. But you know, I was also a buyer on the Titans' offense last year, and that did not go well. Mm-hmm. You know, I did end up getting a ton of Derrick Henry and you know in, in best ball and he really helped down the stretch. But oh, yeah. he didn't help for the first twelve games though. Yeah. I mean he hurt you in the first twelve games. Oh yeah, big time.
0: I and I, I'm really optimistic on Aaron Jones. I know a lot of the offseason stuff is so much fluff and coach speak, but for a guy who in Aaron Jones, who the coaches have previously said, you gotta get in shape, you're not in good enough shape, it, it means something more to me that he actually did get in shape in this spot. And and yeah, dude is just so talented. I mean, uh, and I think he fits really well in what Matt LaFleur's scheme is going to be. And I kind of believe that they're going to throw to their running backs more, and Aaron Jones can certainly play really well there. Um, So I'm optimistic, man. I I want pieces of John Mallison and MVS too. And obviously, Devontae Adams. I mean, uh, God, Devontae Adams could literally... I mean, we talked about it with Matt Matt Harmon. I mean, Devontae Adams, very strong candidate to lead the league in targets. And obviously, his candidate... To be the number one overall wide receiver, thirty um,
1: touchdowns, thirty. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, all right, let's uh, let's go to let's go to Detroit. Uh, Daryl Bevel is taking over for Jim Bob Cooter. Obviously, Daryl Bevel comes from Seattle, where they were firmly on team established to run. Uh, Matt Patricia, I think, is firmly on team established to the run. They are subscribers to our website, of course, establishedtherun.com uh you know what's funny you know what's funny man? we need to talk about this we talk about I, I thought that the name I was a little scared that people wouldn't get the name but since we actually announced it I realized that it can't be bad because if people don't get the name they're like oh yeah that makes sense establish the run and if people do get the name they're like yeah they're making fun of it it's funny right so it can't lose it works both ways you know what I mean I love the
1: Hermsmeyer reaction to it it's like <laughs> I did not know that this was going to be the name of the website. (laughs) (laughs) I'm quitting.
0: (laughs) Um, All right. I think it's pretty clear what the Lions are are going to try to do, though. Uh, Can they execute on? I think Kerryon Johnson is a really, really talented guy. I loved watching him play last year. I wish they would unleash him fully, and maybe they will. But they also have another guy I love to watch play in Kenny Galladay. Uh, How much volume can we expect? Can we expect enough volume for Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones and Matthew Stafford and those guys?
1: You're talking about another dude that you love to watch, but I thought you were going to say Zach Zenner. You know, he's made us a lot of preseason DFS money over the years, and he's probably going to be doing it again this year. <laughs> like, we're going to be playing him again this year. It's amazing. Usually those guys, after a while, they're like fall out of the league, but he just
0: keeps staying in the league as an exclusive preseason star. It's amazing. Oh,
1: man, I love Zach Zenner. Yeah. Um, that spark score, man. Uh, yeah, you know, unfortunately the Lions just, they're just a dumpster fire. You know, it's. It's amazing to me how smart a guy Matt Patricia theoretically is and how backwards thinking he is when it comes to football. The dude is an aeronautical engineer. I don't even know what that is. And, you know, he's out here turning what was a pretty good Lions offense into an absolute trash pit with a <laughs> run-heavy approach. You've got Matthew Stafford. You've got Marvin Jones. you got Kenny Galladay and you got Golden Tate, you know. Last year, I think a lot of people would have ranked that three receiver set, like in the top five of the NFL. You decide to not build around those guys. You're building around an archaic philosophy. Mm -hmm. You're not even building around personnel. You're building around this philosophy that is proven to be wrong. And Daryl Bevel's background perfectly fits with Matt Patricia's philosophy because Daryl Bevel was one of the NFL's run heaviest coordinator for seven years in Seattle. So we can expect On Johnson to benefit from the bevel hire, but we should really lower expectations for the members of Detroit's passing game. Um, you know, I, I, like the safety of Marvin Jones. I like the theoretical upside of Kenny Galladay, but these are not guys at this point that I'm targeting in drafts. Um, you know, I'll take Marvin Jones if he slips to like near the, the single digit rounds of a season long draft, but Galladay just always goes way before He's even on my radar. And um, I think that Matt Patricia, I I think he's going to, you know, this is bold, but I think he's going to get fired after this season. (laughs) I really do. I think he's, I think he's lost. You should read Warren Sharp's book or his chapter on the Lions. It's, it's sad. (laughs) It's literally sad. And I felt bad for Lions fans after reading. it. All right. As soon as the last situation we're
0: going to talk about tonight, and, and this one, uh, a couple months ago, I, I sent a tweet out, and I wasn't thinking that people were really going to latch onto it, but I just pointed out some reasons why I was higher on, than the market was on both the Bengals and the Bills, and people uh were shocked about the Bengals one, uh, but Bengals Twitter got a hold of it, and then I was like their hero. I don't know what was going on, but anyways, uh, I think if you looked at the Bengals before the injuries last year, and they had devastating injuries, not just to Andy Dalton, but also to A.J. Green, also to Billy Price, also to Tyler Eifert. Uh, John Ross hardly played, Um, and when he played, he was not good, and it's some type of odd red zone threat. But anyways, uh, I think getting Marvin Lewis out of there and bringing Zach Taylor, kind of the polar opposite. Zach Taylor's 36 years old. Zach Taylor's offensive-minded, whereas Marvin Lewis was defensive-minded. Zach Taylor was with Sean McVay in L.A. the last two years. And man, the, the talent level on the Bengals is high, man. I mean, Mixon, Geo, A.J. Green, Tyler Boyd. John Ross, Eifert, I hated that they lost first round pick Jonah Williams to injury already. Um, that stuck because they seem to run so bad with injuries. But man, I'm optimistic on this Bengals offense. And I know, uh, you know you've know you been adamant you think the Bengals need to move on from Andy Dalton. I think with these pieces, Andy Dalton can be successful. Like He's not a guy who can raise up the other pieces, but he's a guy uh, whose other piece around him can elevate him. And I think Zach Taylor can help him do so. So that's my pitch on the Bengals, man. I- I- I'm excited about... Uh, the Bengals, as long as they don't have any more injuries here.
1: No, I think they're going to be the top half of the league offense. I'm totally in the same boat as you. My, my thing with the Bengals is just like been, you know, from an organizational standpoint, how they just embrace mediocrity. Yeah. And, you know, look, they had a chance to take Dwayne Haskins, you know, who's like a home state kid and really, I mean, has like a big upside and they just settle, you know, they take Ryan Finley in the fourth round, you know, Mm -hmm. like, He's like 26 years old already. You know, he's he's never going to be an NFL starter. You know, that. and that's – they just embrace mediocrity. They pay Andy Dalton $18 million a year. You know, I mean, that's not a lot relative to other quarterbacks, but it's too much for a guy who really is just a sum of his parts quarterback and not a guy who elevates other players. But, um, you know, getting back to Zach Taylor, his, his track record pretty limited. He did spend the last two years on the Rams coaching staff with Sean McVay. We can kind of apply the Rams' offense to the Bengals. You've got Tyler Boyd to play the Cooper Cup slot role. Mm -hmm. You have John Ross as your (laughs) homeless man's Brandon Cooks, Uh Um, dead last in the NFL last year in yards per route run. What? Yeah, you you mentioned like he's what a weird he's like a red zone threat. Yeah, it was really weird. Yeah, so weird. AJ Green is AJ Green. You know, we talked about him on on the first show. Joe Mixon's your Todd Gurley. Andy Dalton is a poor man's Jared Goff, but not that not that below Jared Goff, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Um and unfortunately they don't have near the offensive line talent that the Rams did especially after losing Jonah Williams, but you can kind of see how the skill position pieces fit. Um and one positive note for the Bengals this year is that the 2018 Bengals were they played at a sloth or the 2018 and 17 Bengals played at a sloth-like pace. They were dead last in the NFL in offensive plays in 2017. Last year, they were 29th. Um, and last year, the Rams were fourth in the NFL in offensive plays. And, of course, that's where Zach Taylor comes from. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm buying into the Bengals passing game. A.J. Green, as we discussed on the first show, way too cheap in drafts. Andy Dalton is a stable quarterback, too. Does not face competition. He should have faced competition from Dwayne Askins, but he's not um and you know you can get him really late in best ball and super flex leagues a uh, great quarterback two pick uh, uh relative to his adp yeah all right i think this is going to be really helpful for people
0: who are getting back into studying for fantasy football who've been out of it missed the whole coaching change saga etc cetera, etc cetera. for more information like this please go to establish you'll find all kinds of takes from evan you'll find all kinds of takes for me and a bunch of other guys like pat thorman like Josh Hermsmeyer, who are working with us on this endeavor. Also follow at Establish the Run on Twitter for updates there. We really appreciate all your guys' support. So for Evan, for Jerry, I am Adam. Good luck, everybody. (laughs)